Oscar Combs here, and I want to put one rumor to rest, once and for all. The story is that Rafferty's goes all out for sports fans. And let me tell you, it's absolutely true. Confirmed. And fans love Rafferty's right back because the food is so terrific. Serve fresh. Serve fast. Serve friendly. Lunch or dinner. Rafferty's menu is jam-packed with all your favorites. Steaks, prime rib, chicken, ribs, delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town. Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. In episode 51, Oscar continues his conversation with former Kentucky baseball coach Keith Madison. And it's a who's who in Kentucky baseball and SEC baseball. Oscar and Coach Madison will discuss some of the big-time players Kentucky went up against, and you will also hear about some of the coaches throughout the SEC, including a coach who works very closely with Coach Madison now. And what happened when Coach Madison and Doug Flynn picked up a professional wrestler for dinner one night? You'll get that story. You will also get Coach Madison's thoughts on former UK administrators, members of the media, and most importantly, his former players that came through the University of Kentucky. And we'll catch up with Coach Madison concerning life after Kentucky baseball and learn about his work with SCORE International. Oscar's throwing the pitches and Coach Madison's knocking them out of the park on this one. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and his guest, Coach Keith Madison. Keith, when you got into this business 40 years ago, you were coaching against some of the great players in the future of Major League Baseball, great athletes, great head coaches in the league. Uh, let's go through some of them that, that you tell us what you thought about them at the time you were competing against them and then what they did later on. Let's start out with Auburn's Frank Thomas. Wow. Big hurt. Big hurt, man. He was – when he was a freshman, I, you know, I, I, I kept getting the statistics from the league, and I kept seeing this freshman Frank Thomas leading everything. And I'm thinking, my goodness. Then Auburn comes up to play us here in Lexington, uh, Frank's freshman year, and I had never seen a freshman like Frank Thomas. He was huge. He was a very, very large man. As Charles Barkley says, he was a grown man. <laughs> and so uh, so Jay Ray was pitching against Frank Thomas. It, you know, he was uh, – that's who was pitching today. So Jay comes to me and said, Coach, this Thomas kid, how are we going to get him out? I said, he's a freshman. You know, you got a good curveball. We're going to get him out with your breaking ball. First at bat, Jay throws a really good curveball. And Frank hits a bullet to our left fielder, and Oscar he hit it so you've seen you've seen third baseman catch line drives and it take him to their knees. It took my left fielder to his knees. <laughs> the second at bat, he hits one in right center over, well almost center field, over into the football field, four hundred. It had to be four fifty. I'd never seen a hitter like him, and it was almost like. You know, most freshmen, you can get them with breaking balls because they don't see many good breaking balls in high school. He was right on everything. He was a man. And part of the time down there, uh, he played with a guy named Bo Jackson. That's right. 
Yeah, we didn't get to play against Bo because Bo, uh, I think if if the story is right, I mentioned earlier that ESPN was going to cover our game down there. We'd never played on ESPN before. It was a big deal for both programs. And um, Bo had, had, I think he had flown to Tampa to get a physical, and the Bucks paid for his expenses. Uh, and they ruled him ineligible. And so the NCAA put a stop to that. And so we, we, we still play on ESPN, but we, we probably didn't get the views <laughs> that we would have gotten because I saw Bo play, and he, he was the best athlete I had ever seen play on a college baseball field. The way he got down the first baseline was a thing of beauty. You know, that was there in the SEC where they produced some really, really great Major League Baseball players. Uh, you you look throughout the SEC. Uh, Mississippi State had a run of. I think Donnie Kissinger at uh, Ole, Ole Miss was a little bit before that. Yeah, time. he was before. He Donnie's more my age. He and Donnie was a good basketball player. Yes, he was. He, he was. I think an All Conference basketball player for Ole Miss. And, and I coached against Donnie when he uh, coached at uh, at Ole Miss. But yeah, he was a great athlete. Played for the Cubs and uh, and then you know you had Bo Jackson and Frank Thomas. Uh, then at Mississippi State, we had a bunch of good ones. Uh, some of these players, I think all of these players actually played at uh, Shively or the Cliff Hagen uh, Stadium. Todd Helton, Tennessee. Todd, Todd Helton. He, he, he wasn't as big as Frank, but he was also a man. He could really hit. And I, I remember playing in a, in a great game against uh, Tennessee down in Knoxville, and it was a very close game. And uh, so we – Tennessee had a had a had a lead, and we were had the momentum, and looked like we were going to win the game. And all of a sudden, Todd Helton they they have a mountain visit, and Todd Helton calls for his glove, and they bring his regular glove out, and he gets on the mound, and he shuts us down as a closer. <laughs> and so after the game, I when we shook hands, I said, Todd, man, I I knew you were a great hitter. But I didn't know you could pitch like that. I said, you look like you were playing a wiffle ball in the backyard. He said, Coach, you know why? I said, no, why? He said, because I'm not a pitcher. I didn't put any pressure on myself. <laughs> I was just having fun. <laughs> but he was so talented. He could he, he could have, in my opinion, he could have possibly pitched in the big leagues as well. Uh, a name that a lot of Kentucky people are familiar with, uh, Brad Wilkerson. Wow, man. I, I, Brad's one of those guys that I recruited really hard. And uh, he narrowed it down between Kentucky, Ohio State, and Tennessee. And visited Ohio State first. He visited Kentucky second. His third visit was Tennessee. He calls his Legion coach while he's in Knoxville on his official visit. He said, I like all these places, but I've always wanted to play at Florida. And they haven't even seen me play. They haven't offered me anything. What do I do? The Legion coach calls the head coach at Florida. Brad and his dad get in their car and drive on an unofficial visit from Knoxville to Gainesville. And meanwhile, the coach at Florida is calling scouts. Hey, what about this Wilkerson kid? And they're saying, hey, you better sign him. So they offered him a scholarship. The rest is history. Albert Bale. Wow. 
Albert, don't call me Joey Bell. <laughs> when he played at LSU, his name, he was known as Joey, Joey Bell. And uh, a lot of good memories about him. He was a great, great player. Now, you never knew what he was going to do on the field. He was a character, I'll say that. <laughs> and he, he, but he was a great I, I remember, uh, Oscar, you may remember this guy. We had a fan by the name of Don Looney. Do you remember that guy? I remember the name. And he was the most vocal fan. He had this really high, shrill voice. Mm -hmm. And so when our players, for instance, or when the opposing team would hit in a double play, you could hear him above everybody. Six, four, three. <laughs> so he would just annoy the opposition. So we played LSU in a doubleheader. Albert, Joey Bell, goes 0 for 4 in the first game, and Mr. Looney is all over him. And I don't know if I should tell this story on this podcast or not. Bo, you can you can uh, erase it if Oscar doesn't want it. First at bat in the second game, Joey hits one 400 feet. And when he jogs down the first baseline, we're in the first base dugout, he's flipping the fans off all the way down the first baseline. <laughs> so he was quite a character. He actually mooned the fans in the SEC tournament right field. They were giving him a hard time. He mooned them. <laughs> a guy who uh, was famous for his rookie baseball card in 1990 with upper deck, Ben McDonald. Wow. And is a uh, SEC announcer today. He I does think. a really good job. He does. He does a really good job. Big Ben, man, he could bring it. He was, you know, uh, and, and being the being the sports historian that you are, you probably know this, but he went to LSU on a basketball scholarship, and so uh, he uh, quickly realizes his futures in baseball. But the first time we faced him was at LSU, and they had really bad lights back then. Can you imagine facing big Ben McDonald in bad lights? He struck out 14 in seven innings. Wow. The next year he comes to Lexington, and the first hitter he faces is Billy White. There must have been 30 scouts there, Oscar. It was amazing. It looked like a state trooper convention. <laughs> and uh, first pitch of the game, Billy White hits a line drive against the wind out in left field. And that – elevated Billy White's draft status. He went from being kind of a probably eighth or ninth round guy to a third round guy because he could handle Big Ben's fastball. He was an awesome pitcher. Brian Roberts. Brian Roberts. Not the fastest guy. He was fast, but not the fastest guy. But he was the best base runner I have ever seen in college baseball. He could steal a base because he got great reads on the pitcher. And just his dad was a coach. So he really knew the game, and he he was a tough out at the plate and had a great career with the Orioles and some other folks. Greg Olson. Whew. Greg Olson. The best curveball I've seen at the college game. He, uh, I, recruited, uh, I recruited Greg. He's from Omaha, Nebraska. Knew his dad. His dad is a well-known high school baseball coach out there. I had his sister sign. She loved horses. <laughs> but – I couldn't get Greg to come. He goes to Auburn, and uh, the first time we faced him, we had an All-American outfielder by the name of Chris Estep, and uh, he struck Chris out on that big curveball he had. And Chris comes back to the dugout, and he looks me right in the eye, and he says, Coach, we ain't hitting that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't make me feel very good. R.A. Dickey. 
R.A. Dickey was a workhorse. He, uh, when he pitched for Tennessee, he was more of a fastball slider pitcher. Of course, now he's famous for a knuckleball. But uh, he would pitch nine innings on a Friday night, and then he would come in on Sunday and pitch the last three innings and close the game out. He was phenomenal. Paul Bird. Paul Bird, man. He, he was a guy that I had in camp here at Kentucky. He's a Louisville boy, went to St. X High School. And uh, we developed this uh, good relationship. So when I did my home visit, Oscar, I go into his house over in Louisville, and he's wearing a Kentucky T-shirt. He's wearing tennis shoes, and even the strings in his shoes are Wildcat blue with the Wildcat logo on them. And he says, Coach, i got to show you my room. I go back into his bedroom. Everything is UK. He's got Winston Bennett posters. He's got pictures of me and him together in camp. And I, that's when cell phones first came out. And I, I, I left that home visit. I called John Butler, my assistant coach. I said, John, we got this guy. He, is, he bleeds blue. We got him. Two nights later, Paul calls me. He says, Coach, I got bad news. I'm going to LSU. <laughs> and it, I said, Paul, I can't believe this. You are a Kentucky guy. I said, I got to ask you why. He said, every day one of the assistant coaches at LSU would send him a note. And it, in the note it would say, temperature, Baton Rouge, 78, Lexington, 36. He said, I got those every day. And it was, of course, a different temperature. But he said, I'm so sick of pitching in cold weather in Louisville, I just wanted to go south. Speaking of loyal, Chris Burke. Chris Burke, man, another tough one that got away. He's a guy, you know, I told you earlier that Brad Wilkerson narrowed it down between uh, Kentucky, Ohio State, and Tennessee and ended up going to Florida. Well, Chris Burke, I remember him being on the visit here. He had it narrowed down to Notre Dame, came from a strong Catholic family over in Louisville, went to St. X, uh, Notre Dame, Kentucky, and uh, Tennessee and his dad I'll never forget his dad said hey it's it's Tennessee's not in the picture it's either Kentucky or Notre Dame and uh and he goes on his visit to Tennessee and commits to Tennessee while he's on his visit but it's he's one of those guys like Brad Wilkerson that it's kind of like rubbing salt in a wound every time he played against us he just had a he had a career day he just was phenomenal against us Chris and I become good friends. He was a, he was a great uh, All-American at Tennessee and um, had a good major league career. Now does a fabulous job as a uh, uh, color analyst for uh, SEC Network. Tim Hudson. Tim Hudson. Great Auburn pitcher and hitter. He came up to Kentucky. Uh, first time I saw him pitch that I remember – Oscar, he throws a two-hit shutout against us and hits two home runs, and Auburn beats us two to nothing. He was a stud. Mike Stanley. Mike Stanley was a great competitor, catcher for University of Florida, had a good big league career, and he was just one of those guys that even when you got him out, you felt like it was a hard out. You know, he was. it seemed like he was on every pitch. David Ross. David Ross, wow. Great leader, great competitor, um, had a great big league career. Todd Walker. Todd Walker, wow. He was a 
when I think of LSU baseball, I think of three guys. I think of Todd Walker, Joey Bell, and Ben McDonald. Now, they've had a lot of great ones, but those are three guys I think about because Todd Walker just wore everybody in the league out. Adam Everett. One of the best defensive shortstops I've ever seen. He had tremendous range, a great arm, and uh, he was he was a part of that dominating era that South Carolina had in the SEC. Glenn Davis. Glenn Davis played for University of Georgia, had big-time power. If he played in today's era uh, with the better bats and, and all that, there's no telling how many home runs he would hit. He'd probably hit 20-25. Head coaches that you coached against in the SEC and non-conference here at Kentucky, uh, let, let's start out with uh, Hal Baird at Auburn. One of the classiest, most knowledgeable baseball men I've ever been around. Hal came from a pro background. He played – long time uh, in the Royals organization. So he really, really knew the game. And I always admired the way he coached. He was uh, – he sort of coached baseball like John Wooden coached basketball. He was a teacher of the game, and he was very much in control almost all the time. I remember him coming in, uh, and he had this little seat cushion that he would bring with him, and he would sit uh, – He'd put his cushion down the dugout, and he would sit there with his legs crossed uh, with his clipboard, his sunglasses, and a bottle of water, and very seldom ever moved. But he was a great coach uh, and obviously a great recruiter if you think about some of the players they've had. And he was a great salesman to talk to football coaches down there into letting guys like Frank Thomas and Bo Jackson play baseball. Skip Berkman. Skip might be the smartest coach that I've ever coached against. He was a brilliant uh, strategist and really was a – he was a phenomenal motivator. Uh, I used to listen to him speak at baseball clinics, and he would have me fired up, ready to play myself. Uh, but he was the master of motivating a team before the game, and which wasn't done much in baseball at that time because – uh, people that came, people like Hal Baird and myself that came from pro, pro backgrounds, you thought, you know, hey, we don't want to do the rah-rah stuff. That's not baseball. But Skip knew how to motivate, and he could have a five-minute team meeting and just change the direction of a team, a mound visit. He was a master at, at changing the uh, direction of a game in a mound visit. Jim Wells. Jim Wells was a Skip Berkman disciple coached very much like Skip Burtman, was very cerebral, uh, a very a, a guy that really knew how to control a game from the dugout. Uh, if I may, I'll, I'll share a quick Jim Wells story. Um, when Scott Downs pitched for Kentucky, uh, they had a guy on their team named Roberto Vaz who had just broken the SEC record for hitting streak. Uh, he had hit safely, I don't know, 30-something games in a row or something like that. So Scott Downs comes up to me and said, Coach, that streak is ending tonight and or this afternoon. We were playing them in a on a regional television game. Well, it rained like crazy. It was just a downpour. 
So Auburn, I mean, uh, Alabama had the tarp on, and it just kept raining. And finally the TV crew left, and the game was that night. So when I go over to the dugout to find out from Coach Jim Wells if we're going to play or not, or whether we're going to play tonight or the next day or whatever, when I started walking back towards my dugout, Oscar, with the tarp on the field, there was – looked like an inch of water on the tarp. And my team was just so disappointed because they were ready to play. And and I looked across the field, and my dugout was just dead. And I said, I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to do a tarp slide. So all of a sudden, I took off. And this was, you know, I was still – I could still run back then. I took off running as fast as I could. And I did this beautiful head-first slide across the tarp and water flying everywhere. I must have – I must have slid 60 feet. And when I came up, the dugout erupted because my players had never seen me do anything like that before. And so that night, we played. Scott Downs threw a brilliant game. He stopped Roberto Vaz's streak. And after the game, Jim Wells walks out to me to shake hands, and he said it was the tarp slide. (laughs) I said, no, it was Scott Downs. (laughs) Now, being a baseball expert – traditionalist I mean you had to do that the next game or did it not rain it didn't rain (laughs) (laughs) Jake Gibbs Ole Miss oh man Jake Gibbs is one of the guys that I admired most when I first started coaching he coached Ole Miss and of course I I had known him as a catcher for the Yankees he was an All-American at Ole Miss had played football as a quarterback at Ole Miss he was just a guy I admired, and I loved his approach to the game. He was a very steady, uh, very knowledgeable guy. And as you can probably tell by just listening to me talk about these guys, I was an observer of, of other coaches. And you can't coach like other people. You have to do your own style. But I just admired the way he managed his team and the way his players uh, respected him and so forth. Norm DeBrand of Arkansas. Norm DeBrine was a great coach. Uh, he coached uh, at Arkansas long before Arkansas came into the league and then after they came into the SEC. <laughs> Norm was one of the best people I've ever been around. He's actually become a good friend with a good friend of ours, Ed Ray, and uh, because Ed lives down there. But uh, he's just a very kind, gentle person until he put the uniform on. When he put the uniform on, he, he doesn't be- know you. Nah, that's right. And he becomes a great competitor. So, uh, good, good coach. Good man. Roy Newburn. Roy Newburn, uh, he came into the league the same year I did. He, I think he'd coached at Birmingham Southern before. We had some battles. And I tell you, Oscar, the thing that I really liked about Roy was we would compete like a son of a gun. And back in the early days, that's when pitchers were still knocking hitters down and still pitching inside and, you know, still going after it. Uh, we would go through all that, and then after the game, it was like, hey, that was the game. Now we're friends again. And I really liked that about Roy. Rod Delmonco at Tennessee. Rod was uh, – uh, you know, there are some coaches you enjoy competing against and there's others you don't. I did not enjoy competing against Rod DeMonico because Rod, I didn't, he was a great coach in one respect, but I thought his baseball etiquette 
left something to be desired. For instance, he would bunt with a 10-run lead, or he would steal bases with a 10-run lead. Uh, it was almost like he tried to rub salt in the wound. And But on the other hand, I admired the way his strength was coaching base running, and I always enjoyed the way his team ran the bases, and, and he, was a, he was a good recruiter. Had some good years at Tennessee. Steve Weber. Steve George. Weber. He, Steve Weber was one of the guys that really took the Southeastern Conference to another level in terms of baseball. Because if I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong on this, but I'm, I think I'm right. Georgia was the first team from the Southeastern Conference to win a national championship in baseball. And Steve was a great recruiter, a great coach, and he was also a, a Ron Polk disciple. He had coached under Ron Polk. And uh, so I, I admire Steve and respect him a lot. Jim Ward. Jim Ward at Eastern. Uh, the thing that I loved about coaching against Jim Ward is that he was a great Christian man but he was also a great competitor. And he taught me that you could be a great Christian and a great competitor. A lot, of, a lot of times people in sports think that Christians are soft. If they think that, they've never coached against Jim Ward. He was a tough competitor. And once I started getting more comfortable doing this, he and I would get together once a month and have breakfast because I wanted to learn from him. He was a great base running guy too. Steve Hamilton, Moorhead. Oh, we talked about Steve some earlier. Uh, Steve perhaps had the best sense of humor of any coach I ever coached against. He also had the ability to, co to compete fiercely, but after the game it was over and we could laugh, and I just loved – he was sort of the Dick Van Dyke of baseball. <laughs> Fun guy. Joe Murray, Eastern. Joe was a great coach, uh, great competitor. We normally had more talent – than Western, he was. It seemed like Western was always in the game because of his coaching skills and his ability to make his players believe. I guess I say the best for last, Ron Pope. Ron Pope, man, I, I don't know where I would be without Ron Pope. Ron gave me a chance uh, to get into the college game, and I learned so much from him, Oscar, because he was. Ron was an incredibly organized structured, knowledgeable coach. And the gift that he gave to his teams was that they felt like they were so well prepared that they would win. They had this level of expectation that they were going to win because they really believed they were the best prepared team. And what Ron, po Ron Polk did for baseball, college baseball and Southeastern Conf Conference baseball was similar to what a and Adolph Rupp did for basketball in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah, I keep thinking something in my mind that you need to comment on. And what's this? What, what's, this what's this loyalty rage that you always had for Randy Savage? <laughs> uh, well, Randy Savage is one of my favorite all-time athletes. One of my favorites. Now, now, do we need just – there might be a couple people who would listen to this 
who may not know who Randy Savage is. Randy Savage was a, was a WWF wrestler. As they say in uh, Perry County and Evanston County, he was a wrestler. <laughs> he dropped the W. Yeah. Just R E S L E R. So he was he was. Uh, uh, Doug Flynn and I played with Randy. Randy was also a really good baseball player. We played minor league baseball with him in Tampa, uh, and he was a left-handed hitting catcher, very good athlete for sure. His dad was a also a wrestler, a pro wrestler. Angelo Poffo was his name. So Randy was a quiet guy on the team down in Tampa, and he didn't say much. And Doug Flynn used to give him such a hard time on the bus or talking about, hey, this wrestling stuff is fake, blah, 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 and just would be in Randy's face all the time. And, you know, Doug weighed 160 pounds. <laughs> and so, anyway, I always thought that was interesting. Here, here's a, a story about Randy. Uh, I've got two, and I'll try to tell them quick. Uh, Randy hurt his arm in the Reds organization as a catcher, and so he got released. And the next spring, we're, we're in a spring training game, and there's a, I'm down in the bullpen. I look out there, and he's there, we're playing against the Cardinals, and there's a guy playing first base, and he looked exactly like Randy Poffo. And I said, it can't be because this guy's throwing left-handed. And I, I kept looking, and I said, man, it must be his brother or something. They look exactly like. So after the game, I walked over there, and it was Randy. I said, Randy, when did you learn to throw left-handed? This tells you what kind of athlete he was. He said, well, he said, after the Reds released me, I knew I could never catch again, and I knew I couldn't throw. So every day during the offseason, I would throw 200 balls a day left-handed into a mattress in my basement. And he said, I tried out for the Cardinals as a left-handed first baseman, and, and they're giving me a shot. Now, how, that's impressive, isn't it? It because is. I can't it do is. anything with my left hand. Now, the other story, real quick, this has to do with our buddy Doug Flynn, too. Uh, when Doug was engaged to Olga, he called me up and he said, hey, let's go out to Columbia Steakhouse for dinner. I said, that sounds great. So – Doug and Olga pick us up, and uh, he said, hey, you mind if I stop by and pick up a friend? I said, no, man, a friend of yours, a friend of mine. So we pull in this little house in Lexington, a little brick ranch house, and uh, this huge guy, huge, comes out. He's got this wild hair and a headband on, and his shoulders, I mean, he, he looked like Frank Thomas's shoulders. I mean, he was huge. And Sharon and I are in a car, and Doug and Olga had gone up to, to get – this guy and I said Sharon who in the world is Doug picking up to go to dinner with us I wasn't following wrestling or anything and so he comes out and I've got the window down he sticks a big head in there and he says Madison Poffo here <laughs> it was Randy Savage, Macho Savage. yeah and and so he was he kind of got his wrestling career started here in Lexington and uh, used to wrestle out at Channel 36, and after we reconnected, I still remember going out and being interviewed uh, before one of the wrestling matches, kind of telling everybody what a great baseball player the Macho Man was in the day. Let's talk a little bit about some of the people that uh, you were working alongside for, with, 
Uh, let's start out with your relationship with uh, Dr. Singletary, Otis Singletary, president. <laughs> I didn't know Dr. Singletary that well because Mr. Hagan told me one day, he said, nobody talks to the president from this athletic department except for me. And so I kind of shied away from Dr. Singletary, but towards the end, I realized what a great guy he was and how much he loved sports. And so when I would see him at an athletic event or something like that, uh, I started realizing, man, I wish I had gotten to know this guy better because he, he really was a very friendly guy, very good guy. Did you ever have any contact with any of the other presidents over the years? The one I had most contact with, uh, the two, I would say, uh, one was Dr. Wethington. And uh, he was a Kentucky guy like you and I, and I still remember some, you know, when, when, when Governor Chandler, Happy Chandler, would invite us out to the Springs. Uh, a lot of times Dr. Wethington would be there, and they were great friends. And, and uh, so I got to know him and really liked him a lot. And, and him being from Casey County and me being from Evanston County, we had a lot of things in common. So, yeah, I, I enjoyed him a lot. The other guy uh, was Dr. Todd. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he was another Kentucky guy that uh, I really had a great relationship with him. Larry Ivey. Larry Ivey was a – he was the go-to guy in the athletic department. If you needed something, if you really – really needed something he would go to bat for you now you didn't want to you wanted to save some bullets but he was uh he he and, and i felt like he understood not that he could always do anything about it but he understood kind of what our limitations were in the budget and he tried really hard to help us i liked larry a lot jack one of the best dudes in the world I'd love that guy. He uh, tighter than bark on a tree. Uh, you know he, but what a great team player he was. He would he would get on the bus with us and travel with us. He would, as an assistant athletic director, he would say, "Hey, I'm I'm not here just to for the meal money and to watch baseball. I'm here to help you." He had a servant's heart. He would set up meals for us. He would. He, he was almost like a member of my staff when he'd go on the road with us. Uh, great, great friend and uh, one of the – just a man of character. Not too many coaches on campus talk about this individual that much, mostly because maybe it's not directly related to the headlines or anything, but a very, very valuable member of this department for probably as long as you and I were around, almost it anyway, Bob Bradley. Wow, man, you're right. You're absolutely right. Not many people talk about him. Not many UK fans know about Bob Bradley. But Bob Bradley created the Cat Center that has helped so many of our athletes not only get a degree but excel in the classroom. Uh, he, he was never, ever satisfied with the jock image of athletes. He wanted those guys to know, hey, there's – you're going to have a future beyond sports, and let's get prepared for that now. So he's the guy. He was the pioneer of setting up academic and an academic center for athletes on campuses, really. And I remember when I first came here, he was a young guy. He and Ann, Ann uh, Sampson uh, were – Ann Simpson were uh, 
that's it. That was a whole academic staff. I think the guy who actually started only stayed like two years. That was Frank Downing. I remember that name. But I think that Frank might have been the year up, before me. Frank ended up going to, uh, well, I tell you what, he left almost about the same time you arrived here because he hooked up with Joe Paterno during one of the Kentucky-Penn State games in here in Lexington and told him he ought to have it Penn State what he was starting here. And Paterno picked, took him up on it. Yeah, that's a smart coach. And Frank's first employee was Bob Bradley. That's a, that was a good move, too, yeah. because Bob Bob had the energy and the passion. He loved athletics. He loved those athletes and still does. Uh, I, you know, he, he deserves a lot of credit for what's happened at the University of Kentucky Athletics. There are people who say that if you're an athlete at Kentucky, a student athlete, and you're not necessarily one of the big two, basketball or football, that he'll do he'll go to any extreme to make sure you not only succeed but succeed at the highest level. That's absolutely right. I know that for a fact. And he, he is in their corner for sure. The late Russell Rice. Oh wow. Russell <laughs> he he was he was a guy that sometimes I would laugh with him, and other times I was scared to death of him. He had a way about him. If you caught him in the wrong mood, you didn't want to go in the sports information department because you, you knew that it was the timing was just bad. But he was a great sports, like you, Oscar, a great sports historian. He loved the history of U.K. sports. He had great knowledge. Uh, and he, uh, he was a guy, once I got to know him and realized that he had this feel or, or this interest in the uh, statistical side of baseball, we had great conversations. That's when we connected. You always said you can define anything in life with numbers. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Yeah. He said, you can solve anything. It's Everything is about numbers. Yeah, I can see him saying that. And and when we communicated about baseball, it was always about numbers. Brad Davis, the late Brad Davis. Mm. Brad was a – he was a um, an easy guy to be a friend with. His door was always open. He always had a smile on his face. He truly loved athletics. And uh, I, I, uh, I kind of get cold chills – because when you bring some of these names up, because they're gone. And uh, I have a really warm spot in my heart for people like um, Brad and, and, and uh, Russell Rice. And, you know, Russell Rice, as you know, Oscar, y'all were good friends. He could be a tough guy. To he could be Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. Yeah, yeah. So you never Depending knew. on the day that you ran into him. And, but it only took you about 45 seconds to know which day he was That's right. enjoying. That's right. And so you, once you learned to read him, uh, everything was good. But, uh, yeah, Brad was a great person. Chris Cameron. Chris was also a uh, – he was a fun guy to be around. And he, he's a, he was a guy that you, when you go down to the sports information department – uh, you knew you had a chance to kind of leave in there with a smile on your face because he had a way of turning a dark situation into something funny. <laughs> and so he was he was a neat guy to be around. You know, he's had a terrific career all over the country. He just retired uh, not long ago at Boston College. 
and now he's in real estate. Yeah, yeah. I, I follow Chris on Facebook, yes, but, and uh, he's 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 fun to follow. And we, he's still true blue too. Yeah, he is. We we still communicate occasionally, but he was great at his job. He really was. Brooks Downing. <laughs> Brooks Downing. You know, this is going to make you laugh, but you know who I think of when I think of Brooks Downing? Quack Butler. <laughs> because Brooks and Quack were friends, and uh, that's who introduced me to Brooks. Quack Butler. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. And, and Brooks, what a gifted individual. Yes. Uh, he is. You know, he, he did a great job in his role uh, in, in the athletic department. But now that he's away from college athletics, he's excelled in his the role he has now. Well, he has this big golf event coming yeah. up in July. Yeah, Barbasol. I mean, he's done very, very, very well. He's a great. He he's a great. Not only a great idea guy. He's a unifier. He is. He can bring people together and get yes. things done. Yes. Carl Nathy. <laughs> oh man, when you he's a guy. When you mention his name, the first thing I think of is his voice. Had a great voice for broadcasting and for radio and 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 all that uh, television, uh, but uh, <laughs> Carl's a guy that loves baseball. So people that love baseball, I usually find a way to become friends with them. Rob Bromley. <laughs> Rob, uh, he is a unique individual. Uh, he is a classy guy, very classy guy that always seem to know how to handle even the toughest situations. Like uh, like if we were in a – you know, baseball is a streaky game. You're going to have winning streaks and losing streaks. It's different than basketball. You know, you lose you lose four games in a row in basketball, and it, it, it's almost – it can be devastating for the season. But even the greatest of college baseball teams or major league baseball teams lose four games in a row. It's just a streaky game. We would be in a losing streak, and I would run into Rob, and Rob would have a way of comforting me that I thought was impossible because I would get really grumpy when we lost. But how can you be grumpy around Rob Bromley? <laughs> Alan Cutler. Oh, man. Alan. He, he is a – when I, I've used this term several times, but he also is a unique individual. Here's a guy – that has a unique approach to sports and covering sports. For instance, when we would have our scout day or pro day for baseball, one time he went out and and went through the, the tryout with our players. And and the scouts were saying, What who is this guy? <laughs> but he ran he ran the like in football, you know, it's the forty that they time. Right. In baseball it's a sixty. I don't know why, but that's the and and, and Allen goes out and, and uh, for instance, our fastest guy like a Chris Estep or a Terry Shumpert, they would run a 6-4-60, which is phenomenally fast. And uh, Alan Cutler, I think, ran an 8-8-60. <laughs> but he did it, and he, he wasn't afraid to try anything. And he, uh, he's, he's a fun guy. You know, I, the, 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 old, the older I get, the more I appreciate guys like Alan Cutler. Kenny Rice. Oh, man, what a good friend. Uh, Kenny was the guy uh, early in my career at Kentucky when he was first getting started. He would go out of his way to cover U.K. baseball when very few people did. It was basically the cat's paws and 
Kenny Rice. That's who really, really cared at that time. Uh, and uh, Kenny, uh, we we were friends off campus. You know, we would do things like go to the Reds games together and things like that. Um, he really cared whether we succeeded or not. Dick Gabriel. Dick Gabriel. He was, you know, when I, I, I have to put him up there with guys like you and Russell Rice in terms of knowledge of sports in at the University of Kentucky because he truly is a guy that – he's one of the few guys left around that I can throw out a name and he'll be able to talk to me about him. Uh, like Bill Glazer, you know. Yeah, yeah, Bill, you know, and there aren't many people in, in – in the media or in the athletic department now that I can bring names up from the past like that, that knows who I'm talking about. So I enjoy talking sports with Dick and he and I get to work together on the SEC network plus broadcasting. He's a fun guy to work with. Dave Baker. <laughs> oh, buzz, man. What a, you know, I, I wish I could somehow bottle his enthusiasm and energy and sell it. I'd be a millionaire. Uh, he's, he, he is such a fun guy to be around. Uh, Dave Baker is a guy, in my opinion, no matter what field he, he would have gone into, he would have been successful. He's been very successful in his role in broadcasting and SEC broadcasting, all that stuff, uh, WKYT. But because of his passion and enthusiasm and his positive attitude, he would have he would have been successful in any field. Ryan Lemon. <laughs> I, I was just talking about Ryan this morning. He's one of the funniest guys that I've ever been around in, in on the media side. Uh, and he and I have always hit it off because, you know, he played baseball at Kentucky Wesleyan. So he loves baseball, even though I think his dad was a basketball coach. Uh, he's a guy that really gets it when it comes to understanding baseball and, and uh, understanding my passion for it. But, uh, I love it when guys do their job and have a sense of humor. Mike Fields. Mike Fields, man, what a what a, a stud in his profession. Uh, you know, how many guys have the dedication and perseverance that he has had in covering sports in this area? And he's, he's done a – I don't know one person in all my years of covering or being involved in sports and, and, and being around Mike Fields covering sports, I don't know of one person that dislikes Mike Fields. He, he's just a very solid person, great character, and knows how to treat people. Matt Jones. Matt Jones. I don't know Matt very well. Uh, I love – He's got some Dave Baker in him with his enthusiasm. He's an incredibly intelligent person. Uh, what he's done with the, uh, you know, with KSR has been incredible. Uh, he's a guy, to be honest with you, one minute I love him and I'm laughing, and the next minute I'm saying, why is he talking about that? And why, why, is he, why is he even saying that? So he has this way of – He's like a great actor. A great actor can make you laugh, 
or they can make you cry. And Matt Jones has that gift. He can he can make you feel like you're his best friend, and the next minute you feel like you could be his worst enemy. <laughs> but he does. He's done a wonderful job. Max Apple. Oh man, one of my best ever friends. I met Max at Western Kentucky University uh, back in '69, and uh, he was in he was in the wildest, craziest fraternity. At Western, I was not a fraternity guy, but my cousin was in his fraternity, and that's how we met. And even back in those days when Max was probably not the person, well, for sure, not the person he is now, I still thought of him as a good guy. I thought of him as a guy with a really good heart. And uh, then, you know, we went years without connecting. And then uh, when I moved up here and started coaching, I kept seeing this guy's name, Max Apple, associated with uh, Special Olympics and those kinds of things. I thought, that's got to be the same Max Apple. So we reconnected. He's one of my very best friends now. um, From Princeton, Kentucky, uh, just a, a, a great man of God. Scott Lindsay. <laughs> Scott is from Evanston County. He's probably. Are you the three most famous people from Evanston County? You, Bo Davenport, and Scott Lindsay. Remember the Houchins guy that chased the bear into the cave? You know, he's pretty famous. Well, but he's got to be second fiddle to you three. <laughs> Scott you, Lindsay. You three are smart enough not to chase one into a cave. Yeah, Scott Lindsay is. Uh, well, see, a lot of people think, people in Barron County, think that the bear chased Houchins into the cave. <laughs> but Scott Lindsay is uh, a great friend. He's a loyal friend. Uh, he is from the south. He's from south of the river, so he probably thinks I'm a redneck. But he's from a community called Mohawk. And Mohawk didn't get electricity until probably in the mid-'60s. And, uh, but they had... Two things that Mohawk was famous for when I was growing up, that's, that's where all of his family's from, that Mohawk area, Edmondson County. They were famous for raising great watermelons and making good molasses. They could do those two things. And uh, But Scott is a great guy. He's been very successful in his career, and uh, it's been really neat kind of connecting with a good old Edmondson County boy. Doug Flynn. Oh, man. Doug and I go back to – 1972, when he, when we played together in Tampa, and he tried to pick up my wife outside of the clubhouse, and um, we were we we enjoyed playing together as teammates in the minor leagues and the Reds organization, and when Doug went on and became a solid major league baseball player, one of the best defensive infielders in all of major league baseball in his era played for the big red machine he never treated me differently he always treated me still like I was his teammate he has that quality about him there's probably there's probably 200 people that think that Doug Flynn is their best friend and that is a great quality to have I love Doug love his character love his sense of humor and love being his friend let's talk a little bit about the people that's meant the most to you in your career, and that's your players. The, just a brief line about we got a bunch of them here, but 
you know, throughout life we gain friends, we enjoy them, sometimes we lose them. And you've lost some of your friends. Let's start out with John Hooker. Wow, man, John uh, John was uh, from London, Kentucky. Uh, he uh, signed the same year that my son Austin signed, the same year Brandon Webb signed, and Robert Newton, Bo Moore. That was a really tight-knit group in that recruiting class. And John Hooker was the ultimate team player. He truly got as much reward when one of his teammates had success as if he had had the success himself. When Brandon Webb struck out a guy to end the inning, he was the first guy out of the dugout. When John Wilson or Andy Green hit a home run, he was the first guy out of the dugout. He was the – and I'm not just saying this because John's not with us anymore, but I really mean it. He's probably the best teammate – of any player I ever coached. And, uh, you know, he, as you know, Oscar, he, I, I was at his wedding one night, and the next morning, uh, when I get back from church, I get a phone call, and one of his former teammates, one of my former players, was in tears, and he said, Coach John Hooker and Scarlett was in that plane crash. And I, I, I can't even tell you the, the pain that I felt because he was truly one of my favorite all-time players. Great, great person. Brandon Webb. Brandon. Brandon and John were best friends on the team at UK. And I give John Hooker a lot of credit for Brandon's success because John was a go-getter. He Every drill that we did, he did it 100%. He gave his best effort. And he was also the typical – UK basketball fan. John Hooker, boy, if 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 we lost a game, he you could hear him talking about Tubby on that <laughs> bus ride. All <laughs> and so he and Webb would always sit together on the bus and they were always on each other. But Hooker pushed Brandon because Brandon had this really laid back, easy going personality. And Hooker constantly pushed Brandon to be his best, to excel. And finally, when Brandon was a junior, it clicked, and Brandon became one of the great, not only great pitchers in SEC history, but uh, a great major league pitcher, Cy Young Award winner. Steve Roberts. Steve Roberts was on the first team I coached at Kentucky. He was a team captain. He was a leader. Uh, he, he was – of all the all the team leaders we've had, I've put Steve Roberts in the top three. Got drafted by the Giants and, and really helped us turn that thing around. Joe Georgia. Joe Georgia, wow. Great competitor. He was twelve and two on that first team that I coached at Kentucky. Wasn't the hardest throwing throwing pitcher, but he could really locate his fastball through the slider for a strike and he wasn't afraid to pitch inside. Jeff Sarcher. Jeff Sarcher Good power hitter, played shortstop on that first team that I coached in Kentucky. Eventually, we moved him to third base, uh, became a, um, a very successful businessman. And here's something I remember about Jeff real quick. I remember we that first year I coached here, he was a sophomore. And we were down three runs to a team. It was kind of getting late in the game. And 
And I was kind of getting, you know, how coaches get sometimes. They get a little tight. And Jeff Sharcher walked up to me and he said, Coach, don't worry about it. We got this one. And we did. We won the game. And that, that, made, that made an impact on me. Jeff Keener. Jeff Keener. Whew. The most th – this is a big statement. The most dominant pitcher in the history of U.K. baseball. We've had some good ones. Jeff Parrott. Jeff Parrott. So proud of Jeff Parrott, the man that he is. Because Jeff was – he was a guy, Oscar, that when we went on the road, I would put a chair outside of my room and read because Jeff would sneak out after curfew. <laughs> but he became such a great pitcher and a great person, and I consider him one of my best friends. Jim Leopold. Jim Leopold. The greatest catch I've ever seen in my life, including the Willie Mays catch, including the Otis Nixon catch for the Braves, was Jim Leopold's catch against Ohio University. I believe it was 1980. When he turned his back in center field and sprinted towards the center field fence and laid out and caught the ball with his back to the ball against the fence, it was it was unbelievable. And he went four for four that day and ended up pitching for the Triple uh, A for the Padres. Now he's an executive for Papa John's. Paul Kilgus. Paul Kilgus. The classic love hate relationship. Paul Kilgus hated me at the beginning because he was you know sometimes our greatest strength is also our greatest weakness and his stubbornness his competitiveness kept him from sometimes having a great relationship with me because he would be late for practice I'd make him run laps and then he would try to argue with me about it but as he matured and as I got to know Paul we had a great relationship, and like Jeff Parrott, I consider him one of my best friends. He, as you may remember, in his first start as a Wildcat, threw a shutout against West Virginia. He was a great competitor. Jim Larich. Jim Larich, man, what a great hitter. He, he was a guy that I recruited twice. I signed twice. I signed him out of high school, and he calls me up and says, Coach, I want to get drafted. I'm going to go to a junior college. And then he was bold enough to say, would you help me get into a junior college? <laughs> so not only am I not coming to play for you, I'm going to go to junior college. So I got him in a junior college, and I said, Jim, I'll help you under one condition, that if you don't get drafted in junior college, that you'll come and play for the Cats. He said, I'll do it. He was a man of his word and became a great major league player. Great uh, hero of, I think, the 96 Yankees. Hit the home run off of Wallers. Yes. To win that game for the Yankees. He was he was the later version of Mr. October for the Yankees. He had big playoff and World Series games for the Yankees. Jim Ray. Jay Ray? Jay Ray. Yeah, Jay Ray. Uh probably had probably had the best curveball of any any guy I ever coached and was a phenomenal competitor from Franklin, Tennessee, another guy that I've remained good friends with and pitched in the Dodger organization. Billy White. Billy White, wow, great shortstop from St. X High School. He was a leader on that team in 88 that was an out away from the College World Series and not only a great defensive shortstop, but a really good hitter. Chris Estep. Chris Estep. 
kept me up at night, many nights. I was laying, laying in my bed with my head on my pillow wondering what, what is Chris, Chris Estep doing tonight. But a fun, fun guy. When he started playing pro ball, show you what kind of personality he has. He would, he would call up my secretary and, and say, uh, this is Elvis. I want to speak to Coach Madison. And my secretary would come in and say, Coach, there's some guy who says he's Elvis. I said, put Chris, Chris Estep through. <laughs> John Marshall. John Marshall, good leader. Um, both of his sons, uh, one of them still plays for Kentucky, Tyler. Last year played on that great Kentucky team that uh, Coach Minjone coached. John was a an intricate part of that 88 team. Good left-handed hitter. Rick Norton. Rick Norton. Dad, uh, his dad was an All-American quarterback here at Kentucky. And uh, Rick uh, kind of overcame that stigma of being the great football player's son and made a niche for himself and became an All-American baseball player at the University of Kentucky. Mike Harris. Mike, in that same era as Rick Norton, was also an All-American. Tate's Creek High School, great speed, great power. Would have made it to the big leagues had he not had uh, some tough injuries. Mark Thompson. Fierce competitor from Russellville, Kentucky. Uh, had a power sinker, power slider. Uh, was the second pick in the first draft the Rockies had and became a, a solid major league pitcher for the Rockies. Jeff Abbott. The best the best hitter I've ever coached. Uh, hit, uh, I want to say, 445 with 23 home runs. Uh, was an All-American. Uh, played in the big leagues with the White Sox. Uh, interesting point for you trivia people out there. There's been three All-Americans at Kentucky that threw left and hit right. Not many people do that. Jeff Abbott was one. Evan White, last year's first baseman, and Colin Cowgirl. A lot of programs never have a guy that do that, and we've had three All-Americans that did that. Pookie Jones. Pookie Jones, the best bat speed of any player that I've ever coached. He, he was we, – we, we would have this drill – short toss where I would get behind an L screen from eight feet away and toss the ball so he could get more swings. It was scary because I was really afraid the ball would come through the net. Troy Trumbo. He's another young man that died very young. Um, great right-handed pitcher from uh, Danville, Kentucky. He was projected to go in the second or third round and uh, get sick his junior year. Uh, he has uh, really bad sinus infections and has some back spasms, and the doctor prescribed a muscle relaxer. And, and somehow, I'm not, a, I'm not a scientist, but somehow the muscle relaxer and the, the medicine he was taking for uh, sinuses, they didn't, they didn't get along. And uh, he died within a few days after that. And uh, very much like John Hooker, just a great, great Christian young man. Uh, it was That was a painful thing to go through. Chad Green. Chad Green, the fastest baseball player, including Bo Jackson, including Deion Sanders, the fastest baseball player I've ever seen. Scott Downs. The best makeup of any pitcher I've ever coached. He knew when to be funny. He knew when to compete, and he knew 
when to throw his curveball. He was a great competitor and just one of those cocky left-handers that you want on your team and you don't want him to be on the other team. John Wilson. Great competitor, competitor uh, overcame a lot of adversity in his life. Uh, his father shot him through a door in Los Angeles when he was right after his senior year in high school. And uh, he almost died. He spent six days in intensive care. Uh, his dad spent 10 years in prison for, for this. And uh, he overcame that and became an All-American baseball player and play, uh, was a catcher for Team USA. Andy Green. Andy Green. Uh, Oscar, you know how coaches are supposed to influence players? That guy has influenced me more than I could ever influence a player. Just a great Christian man, a great leader, uh, one of the most competitive guys I've ever been around, and now manager for the San Diego Padres. I'm really proud of Andy. Joe Blanton. Joe Blanton. He is the only pitcher that I ever coached that I did not want to go out to the mound on a mound visit when he was pitching. He, he's from my hometown. He's an Evanston County boy. And he, he would give you a look, like, if you try to take this ball away from me, it's not going to work. I mean, he, he meant business. And because of that, I left him in a few, too, few games a little bit too long. But a great pitcher and has had a great major league career uh, with the Phillies and the Dodgers and uh, the Nationals and some other teams. Some real tough ones now. Just short, but tough. Best U.K. game you ever managed? I would have to say it was against LSU in the SEC tournament. Uh, when we were behind, I want to say about four or five runs twice in one game. And, and I, yeah, I made some good moves, but I give my players all the credit for believing and we came back from being four or five runs behind twice and won a game against the number one ranked team in the nation in the SEC tournament. That's probably the one that stands out. Worst game you ever managed? Man, I wish you hadn't asked that. Um, you must remember it then. There's been so many I can't put my finger on one. <laughs> uh, I, I remember um, playing in the SEC tournament against Tennessee and they had to beat us twice to win the tournament and leaving a pitcher in way too long. That hurt. And and it, I, and as a coach, you just have to wear that. And uh, and then another time when, when uh, just the way I, just the way I handle situations sometimes, Oscar, uh, embarrassing, uh, I'm ashamed of it. But, uh, you know, that's when you face it, and realize the mistakes you made and move on, that's when you grow, I think. And, uh, boy, I really screwed up a few times. Most exciting game you ever participated in? Probably that LSU game that I mentioned when uh, we hit a we hit a, a, a triple in the ninth inning to win that game. Uh, it was so exciting because LSU was so good. They were – LSU was beating everybody by, it seemed like, double-digit runs that year. They were just dominant. And for us to come from behind, that was probably the most exciting. And then and then close behind that was beating Clemson in the NCAA regionals uh, when they were so good. Uh, that was an exciting time, too. Brief description of your coaches. Start out with John Butler. John Butler was the perfect complement 
to me because of his organizational skills. I'm not the most organized person in the world. He helped me in that area a lot. Uh, he, his attention to detail was beyond anybody I've ever been around. Uh, great batting practice pitcher, great teacher of hitting, great teacher of base running, uh, great baseball coach. And people now, you know, he's been in the compliance office in the athletic department for so many years. There's people that work in the athletic department that have no idea what a great coach he was. He's one of the few guys in the athletic department that ever coached. Bob Smith. Bob Smith, great recruiter. Uh, he had a gift of connecting with high school players on the telephone that I used to just admire. And uh, we, he opened the door for a lot of the good players that came to Kentucky because of his ability to connect with them on the phone. And his versatility, he could coach any position. Jan Weisberg. Jan played for me. Um, he came out here. His dad was a doctor that had moved to Frankfurt. That's how we found out about him. He played junior college ball in California. John Butler goes out and says, hey, I think this guy can help us. He comes here and stays forever. <laughs> he stays here as a player and, and had a – he was a great hitter, uh, catcher, first baseman, and then, uh, and then he just stayed on my staff and was like a student assistant, a graduate assistant, part-time assistant, and then a full-time assistant. Now he's a head coach at Birmingham Southern doing a great job down there. Greg Goff. Greg was a, just a tremendous competitor. He was on my last coaching staff at Kentucky with, uh, with Jan and quickly just uh, skyrocketed through the coaching ranks. He went From here he went to uh, Montevallo, uh, Dwayne Peavy School, and uh, took them to the uh, – Division II World Series. From there, he goes to Campbell, which was like a graveyard for coaches. Takes them to an NCAA regional. From there, he goes to Louisiana Tech. Takes them to a regional. Then he goes to Alabama, and things didn't work too good for him there. But he's going to—he'll bounce back. He's a great coach. If you had your career to live over, is there anything you would have done differently as far as baseball? Boy, that—that—that that, that is such a. A great question, but also a hard question. Uh, I always felt like I was a coach that, irregardless of my weaknesses as a coach, the thing that I did right was that I loved my players. I can't imagine a coach loving his players more than I did. I wished I had done that. If I had to do over, I wished I had done that even more because – Oscar, when I look back on all the rosters of, and all the players I've coached, I look at some players and I think, I didn't spend enough time with that guy. If I had it to do over, to answer your question, I would have spent more time with maybe some of the players at the end of the bench. Uh, I would have spent more time just hanging around practice, after practice, talking to the guys. Some of my most rewarding moments were those times. I just wished I'd have done it more. The best decision you ever made in your life up to now? Asking Sharon Massey to be my wife. She, she is a jewel. Who has been the most influential person in your life? Probably my father because of his strength of character. And I can never, ever reach 
that level that he had, but he was a man that had true character. He was a guy that if he ever shook your hand and said he was going to do something, you could write it down. He would not lie to you for the world. I mean, he uh, he he was a guy that influenced me. Uh, I wish I could be more like him, but if, if it hadn't been for him, there's no telling where I'd be because he, he just instilled those values in me. He, he took me to church when I didn't want to go. He knew it was good for me. Uh, he disciplined me, and a lot of people think that's a bad thing. That was a great thing in my life, the fact that he loved me enough to discipline me. And he told me the truth when it hurt. Uh, if I got a little cocky as an athlete, he'd say something like, son, you better be careful. You might break your arm patting yourself on the back. <laughs> he just taught me those things, and it, it meant a lot. You've been retired now from baseball for over a decade. Mm-hmm. How difficult was it to step away from the game that you lived your entire life being around? Yeah, it was hard. It, 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 was, it was difficult, but I knew it was the right time for me. The hard part was the weekends. I didn't realize that you had to have a hobby. <laughs> and, you know, my, every weekend of my life was spent on a baseball field, basically, that the weather was good. I was thinking this morning, because I went to a lot of the games back then, there was never an Easter no. that you weren't playing baseball. There was never an Easter I wasn't playing baseball. There was never a Kentucky Derby I wasn't playing baseball. There was never a Valentine's Day that we weren't playing baseball. My wife, she that's, a, that's, that's why I say she's a jewel. She never complained about that. I know you're a, a man of faith. One of the best. It's often said when one door closes, another one opens. Sometimes you open that door before you close the other one. When you retired and got into your current love affair with SCORE International, tell me a little bit about it. Wow. Well, people that are listening to this that are men and women of faith, they're going to understand this. My last season at Kentucky, we, we'd had three tough years. And that, that last season, I mean, every, but every year I'm, 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 I'm such a, a positive person. I thought, this year we're going to turn it around. Every game, it was like, this is a game. We're going to turn it around. So I remember we were playing Kent State University in 2003, and we're playing well. We're, you know, my pitcher's throwing strikes. We're making plays, and Guys are getting hits. I mean, it's – and I remember thinking, hey, this is it. We're going to turn this thing around. We're going to be back in the regionals. As soon as I had that thought, God spoke to my heart. It wasn't audible, but it was, it was, it was clear. And this is what God said. This is your last year coaching at the University of Kentucky. And I kept that inside. The next day we played Kent State again. We won. And I'm thinking, hey, that was just, that was just a thought. That Friday night, we played Arkansas. They were a top-10 team. They drilled us. It was humiliating. The next morning, I get up. I'm having a cup of coffee with Sharon. I said, Sharon, last Tuesday, I'm in the dugout. And God spoke to my heart. He said, this is your last year coaching at Kentucky. 
And I thought she'd say, oh, just you're having a tough year. You had a tough game last night. Just be patient. We'll pray about it when the season's over. Everything will be all right. Instead, she said, yes. And I thought, wow. Now, I mean, it's out there, right? I've said it. She's agreed that that was from God and that she's excited about it. My brother comes over. I told him the same thing. He said, that's great. Now, here's a guy that's followed us all over the South, loves the game, loves watching Kentucky play baseball. He said, that is great. You're going to be able to do things you've never been able to do before. Little did I know he was a prophet because that year, that well, that next fall, I go on my first short-term mission trip to the Dominican Republic with a group I'd never heard of, Score International. And I liked it. We, what we did down there, Oscar, is we put on baseball clinics for thousands of young Dominican baseball players, and then after the clinics, we share the gospel with them. And we also take food to the villages. We do all the things that you think a missionary's doing. But we just did it for a week. And I loved it, so I'm, I'm coming back. I'm, I've never been to a third world country, but I'm coming back. The next year I'll go back, and the uh, president of the organization said, we need a baseball guy to recruit other baseball coaches and players to come down and do the same thing. Why don't you do that for us? And that's what I did. And so I left the, when I left coaching, Dr. Todd gave me a job with Terry Mobley, who's a great friend of ours, uh, just recently passed away, and Terry was so good to me. And I had a great situation there in the development office. But Terry understood, he and Mike Ritchie both understood that, hey, when God calls you to do something, that's what you need to do. And so I've been with SCORE ever since, and we've been able to uh, put on these free baseball clinics. Ron Polk has been with me nine years in a row. <laughs> so, and I, I, we've had guys like uh, Andy Green and uh, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit have gone with us. It's been a blast. I, I, didn't, I didn't envision that when I first started, but it's really been a very, very good thing for me. I guess in one respect, everything comes around full circle. You've never been a better person that I have ever known of. But now, finally, after all these years, Kentucky is about to open a $50 million stadium. And Nick Mengione, second-year coach, has embraced you. Uh, it's kind of neat to see that Things are starting to come together, ever, even though it's been so long. Yeah, you know, it's Nick Mengione and I will say his staff, too. They have made me feel at home again. It's really a neat thing. I never thought I would – the when I, when I first would go back, and I, I went to several games and I'd go back to the ballpark. After having coached there for 25 years, it, 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 I felt like I didn't belong. I felt like this, there's something that didn't feel right about it. But with Nick, he, he gets mad at me if I don't come. He really cares. I'm not saying that Gary and John didn't. It wasn't their responsibility to care about Coach Madison. But we, I was friends with those guys, still am. But Nick is one of the most interesting guys I've ever been around. He truly has a great heart. He truly wants to embrace not only Keith Madison, but all the former players that played for me and played before 
I got here. He loves it when those guys come back. And it's it's the classic Italian in him. He it's it's all about family for him. His family with Kristen and Reeves and then his baseball family and it's almost like his team is his immediate family and then all the former players are his extended family and he just wants them all around him. And it's really a cool thing and I I, I will say I I feel totally at peace and at home when I go to Cliffhagen Stadium now. It's it's pretty cool. How do you want to be remembered? I want to be remembered as a man who loved his family and loved his players, loved the University of Kentucky, and gave his very best. A lot of times it wasn't good enough, but it was his best. That's what I – that's kind of – and I want to be remembered as a, as a guy that, even though flawed in many ways, really thankful for my relationship with Christ. Only God's son can love somebody like me that much. It's pretty, you know, and maybe I'm feeling that way because, you know, we just experienced Easter. But, man, that's what that's what grace is. Just, just like Nick has embraced me with the program, God has embraced me for eternity. That's a pretty cool thing. 